The following Knowledge at Wharton podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. It's been quite a week, and it's only Tuesday. The Federal Reserve cut its benchmark interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point, the biggest single cut since October 1984. The stock market started out on January 22nd in a deep swoon and stock indexes around the world are trying, with mixed success, to recover from steep plunges early in the week. The obvious fear is one of recession, a possibility that the White House and Congress are trying to avert by coming up with a stimulus package that will keep the economy off life support. Are we in fact headed into a recession? How effective will the Fed's interest rate cut be and what is the outlook for the Asian and European economies? Knowledge at Wharton asked finance professors Jeremy Siegel and Franklin Allen to comment on these issues. Uh, Jeremy and Franklin, thank you very much for joining us. To start, we'd like to begin by asking you whether the Fed overreacted to the upheavals in the global markets. What do you think? No, I think they they acted appropriately. Uh, uh, if, if you look at where uh, uh, market in- investors were expecting interest rates by looking at the term structure, uh, it was very downward sloping over the next couple of years, which means that they expected those short-term interest rates uh, to uh, to go down. We don't like inverted term structures. I mean, Bernanke has talked about that. They don't signal good things. You want to get that short rate below the long rate. And I think they went a long distance in doing that. What will be of interest, of course, is to see what they're going to do next week. The market, uh, surprisingly, is expecting actually another 50 basis point uh, cut at their uh, January 30th meeting. So I I guess I would agree with Jeremy. I, I don't think they overreacted. But I'm not sure it's going to do much good because I think uh, the problems of, of that are out there are such that interest rates cuts won't help that much. And uh, even if they cut another 50 basis points, I think, again, it's not clear it'll have that much effect because the basic problem is still in the property market. And the problem is that both sides of the market are waiting. And until we find out what the property prices are going to settle at, it's we're not going to get too much of a resolution to these problems. And this doesn't help that that much because the problem is the people who can get credit are not necessarily going to be the people that are going to be affecting the property market. So, How likely is a recession, or are we in fact already in one? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, as you know, I've been one of the optimists here in saying that we were going to avoid a, a recession. I, I would say that Professional economists are almost split down the middle now, maybe now nudged a little bit more than 50 percent towards uh, thinking that we're going to have a recession. Um, But I'm I'm much more optimistic, I think, than Franklin. Um, Yes, I I think real estate is going to remain bad and and price is not going to recover for a long time and there's still a huge overhang of, of housing. But one of the other big problems that we we saw was a disruption in the short-term credit market with very high risk premiums uh, that developed. Those risk premiums are going down, and with the Fed lowering the benchmark rate, uh, it actually means that the all-important LIBOR rate, which uh, upon which really trillions of dollars of of, of loans are based, uh, is now almost a point and a half lower than it was just early in December. 
So um, uh, there's still problems in the credit market. I, I, I agree there, but I think the Fed can offset those to some degree, and I, I think they're they're doing the right the right thing in in in, uh, in, in lowering rates. How do you find the way uh, Ben Bernanke is handling the situation, and how does that compare with the way, say, Alan Greenspan might have done? done? Actually, this was a much more aggressive uh, move than I, I think even Greenspan might have made. I mean, this, this move please, it surprised me. It pleased me, but I, I, I didn't expect it. And we did see a, a, you know, Bill Poole uh, dissented. Um, and Bill is known to all of us econ- economists because he was an academic. He taught at Brown and did a lot of great work. And he just said, I didn't see the urgency that we, could, that we couldn't wait one more week. Uh, to do that, and he didn't have all the people there, so it was uh, it it was a surprise. I mean, the the last time this happened was nine eleven, w- when it was just before the markets would open, and they had orchestrated a a, dis- a discount in in Fed funds rate cut just before that opening, and um, um, uh, they only did a half point, I think, then, and here they did three quarters of a point. So um, this this was very aggressive. I think m- more aggressive than I think we'd see from uh, Greenspan. So I, I guess I differ from Jeremy. I think uh, we probably are in a recession already, and um, I, th- I think it's going to be a while before we know that, but uh, I think there are a lot of indications that we are. And I think it's going to be a while before we reverse that. And, you know, I, I agree with Jeremy that this is very aggressive, and it may be it's worth a try, but as I say, I don't think it's going to help that much. And you know, if we look back at what happened in Japan, they took interest rates right down to zero. They flooded the markets with liquidity. Property prices kept on falling for many, many years still. And it just it doesn't stop the basic problem. And this is a different kind of situation than we've had because it's very unique, at least in, in recent uh, U.S., experience to have falling property prices across the whole economy and economies where that has happened in other parts of the world it's quite a negative what do you think would be the right thing to do i think they should try this because it may work but uh you know it's interesting to contrast what's happening in the rest of the world so the there were rumors yesterday or today i can get get mixed up which day it was that the i guess it was uh this morning that the, there would be a, a joint ECB, Fed and Bank of England rate cut, but that doesn't seem to have to have materialised. And my guess is that the ECB won't cut rates. If they do, they won't do it nearly as aggressively. And that, that's an interesting contrast to to what's what's going on here. I think I think it's also important. I mean, Franklin's bringing up an interesting point about Japan, but, but Japan was in much worse of a bubble. Um, both on the property side and in the 80s on, on the stock market side. They had the double bubble of stock prices and property prices. We did have a bubble in, 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 pro- in property real estate prices. I don't think we did in stock prices. You know, we did seven years ago, but not now. So one of those major markets wasn't in a bubble. And the property market, um, it was not as severely overinflated uh, as, uh, in my opinion, as as Japan, and one of the critics criticisms of Japan is they reacted too slowly. The Bank of Japan to that deflationary situation. So, you know, it's 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 more hopeful that the Fed, by acting 
uh, you know, faster can can certainly prevent or hopefully prevent certainly what happened in Japan. So, Jeremy, I agree with you that the uh, the bubble in Japan was much bigger. On the other hand, your good friend Bob Schiller predicts, I believe the last one I heard was that the case Schiller is going to drop 50%. In real terms. In, 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 which, you know, in Japan dropped maybe 75, 70% yeah. over 15 years. I'm not what, that, what's your prediction I'm not for that, the case Schiller index? The case Schiller price index, and my good friend Bob, and, and, uh, and I agree with him, uh, property prices went, went too high. I don't think they're coming all the way back down to some historical means. First of all, real interest rates are low. Interest rates are low. There's all sorts of things that I think it'll settle. I think we got maybe another 10, 15% to go um, in, uh, in, in property prices and um, uh, not the 50% that, that Bob thinks is going to happen. President Bush has proposed a $150 billion stimulus plan that would include tax cuts for individuals and businesses. Will this be enough to encourage consumer and corporate spending, or is it more of a Band-Aid? I guess my view is more of a political move than anything. I don't think it will have that much effect. They just want to be seen to be doing something. I, I think a minor effect. I think the Fed moving is much more important uh, than this boost of... Uh, of short-term purchasing power. But don't forget, I mean, the money has to come from somewhere, and it's it's coming by increasing the national debt, so we're all going to pay for it eventually. <laughs> we started loaning it to ourselves early on, trying to encourage us to uh, to spend. Uh, I, I don't know if it weren't a presidential year whether we would... <laughs> We'd have everyone running to give uh, to give money back like this. I, I think what the Fed does, um, and I'm not saying they can prevent a recession. It's, uh, but they can make it milder. And it, um, uh, what they do is going to be far more important and cushion cushioning us from from whatever decline we're going to have. Do these recent events bear any relation to the Asian crisis in the late 1990s? when the stock markets around the world tanked because of credit problems in Southeast Asia? I, I don't think so. I, I actually think the interesting comparison is, is the one Franklin brought out about whether this is Japan, a minor version of Japan in the 90s, um, which, you know, and, and how it's different and how it's not. Uh, don't forget, in, in, those, in those cases, we had... Uh, the, um, a credit crisis affecting the emerging markets. Um, this isn't as severe there. And also they they went from a fixed exchange rate when they're holding exchange rate way too high and borrowing too much. And then all of a sudden they, they let it go and it devalued uh, extremely, producing very high inflation um, and, and shocked that system. I think it was very different causes and dynamics uh, there. I think the interesting comparison is are we in a mild form of what Japan experienced uh, uh, in the 1990s? And uh, I think that will be debated over uh, the next uh, months and maybe years. So I'd agree with Jeremy. I think that, that the basic problem in the Asian crisis was they had a lot of dollar-denominated debt, and then they had exchange rate crises, and that's very different from what we, we have. But it is interesting that you know, places like Hong Kong – had a very severe drop in property prices, and that also led to a severe recession again. One of the uh, interesting things about the subprime crisis is that you know, the, one never knows when the next shoe is going to drop. 
And one of the things that people are starting to worry about now is what might be the effect uh, of the monoline insurers uh, on and, and their defaults on the market. Could you help assess what that risk might be and what impact that might have? The problem is, as they went, uh, you know, the insurers who used to uh, insure the municipals went outside their area of expertise and started insuring CDOs, collateralized debt, etc. I don't know exactly the extent on that. I know it is there, um, and that is a serious problem. Um, um, I, I've, I've always been worried about that because, you you know, when you have a macro event, insurance is great when you don't have a macro event. But when you have a macro event, you know, you, uh, such as, uh, you know, such as we have here, the whole idea of an insurance on individual uh, debt issues uh, becomes a, a, a potential problem. Uh, that's something that has to be sorted out. Um, and, uh, you know, clearly we saw Warren Buffett moving in with all his cash and saying, hey, now I can provide the insurance. But I think that that's the area that now is a problem. I, I think um, the banks and most of the investment houses have written down um, the, the lion's share of, of what could be wrong. It's in their interest to get that out of the way. And I do think we got new leaders in these firms, et cetera. And obviously they want as much of that behind them as possible. Um, the question is, you know, credit defaults, uh, cross swaps. There's a little nervousness out there about is how is this going to react? So far it's okay. And I, and I think what's really encouraging is that I, I think the term auction facility of the central banks it's actually been pretty good. They brought that LIBOR rate down and some of those risk premiums down. Um, but um, to the extent there are some of these um, other um, features, swaps, and, and other derivatives, as they call them, in the market that might blow up um, is, is a, a source of concern. So I guess I would be, again, a bit more pessimistic. Again, it comes back to the property price issue. So everything's going to be driven by what happens to property prices. And as long as they don't go down too much more, I agree with Jeremy about what's going to happen. But I think there's a significant chance that they'll fall more. And once that happens, we get back into a world where the next tranche of credit of mortgages will start defaulting in significant numbers. And then we'll be back where we were in August with a lot of uncertainties about where the defaults are. And that may well cause a lot of problems because, as Jeremy says, insurance isn't good for a macro event. And then we get back into the what was the real problem, I think, in, in terms of the symptoms, which is the freezing up of the interbank markets. And Jeremy's right that that's a lot better now, but it could happen again at any time because I don't think anybody really understands why it froze in quite the way it did because one would expect that banks, which are well capitalized, should be trading each with each other because they knew a lot about each other, but they were not, and we don't really understand why that happened. I think one of the things about our modern financial world is um, that uh, traders are almost alike everywhere. I mean, you know, we saw big declines in in China. Now, you know, they don't have a subprime lending system there. We saw around the world, every market. It's very correlated now. That's, everyone's on the phone with everyone else. Everyone's, you know, um, uh, emailing everyone else. And that 
instantly. And so any fears and anxieties spreads like wildfire, including rumors both true and false. And uh, you don't get that diversification. And we often talk about, well, you invest here and there and there. In the short run, you don't. In the longer run, I, I, think, I think you do. And one thing I would like to say in terms of how much more property prices have to fall, one of the good signs, and I've, I've talked to some realtors about this, is that um, – uh, this lowering of interest rates is really going is lowering mortgage rates for conventional mortgages. Those below the limit, it is now near the low again, uh, which is very important for first-time buyers. Um, as one of my realtors friends tells me, if it isn't the first-time buyer that goes in, that that feeds that whole chain of people moving up and people moving into the first-time buyers. That is helping a lot more. The short-term rates going down upon which adjustables are based, and everyone's worried about those jump in those adjustables. Well, by bringing the short-term rates on, they're not going to jump as much. Or certainly lenders will make deals, well, okay, I don't have to meet exactly the same. So there's going to be less pressure in terms of, 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 of the financing of real estate, which I think can help cushion uh, the price decline uh, in, in that system. So to that extent, what the Fed is doing uh, can be helpful in the property markets. I agree with that, except the problem is if prices are falling, the optimal thing, even if you have cheap financing, is to wait until it hits the bottom. And I think that's the problem. The market's frozen because both sides are waiting and we don't get good price discovery in the market. It's not like stock markets where you get very quick price discovery. It just takes a long time. And that's the problem. What impact will these events have on the M&A market? terms of deals being contemplated and those that are in the works? Well, uh, where they used to be able to get their financing um, uh, from the market, like asset-backed commercial paper, they found now anything. Asset-backed used to be the golden word, enabling you to sell anything you want. Now it's the poison that uh, you mentioned and no one wants it. Uh, To some extent, uh, that that'll bring the banks who have access directly to the Fed, and the Fed is showing its willingness to feed that liquidity. Um, they'll be going to the banks more often and and getting some of these funds. Um, and uh, so, you know, my feeling is is that that there are a lot of smart people looking around now, just waiting for this type of environment to snag the deals at the prices that they think are 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 decent. But it won't be financed. Uh, certainly by the asset-backed commercial paper market, uh, anywhere near as easily as before. And and because of the environment, of course, everyone's going to scrutinize the deals much more closely. I think we may start seeing a lot of sovereign wealth fund acquisitions and that that'll be a, a big change over what's happened before because they have enormous amounts of cash. The dollar is low at the moment. It's easy for them to acquire. And there are a lot of strategic acquisition. So particularly, people talk a lot about China, but I think particularly Indian firms will start making a lot of acquisitions. And the usual problem is these political constraints that they worry about. And I think in this environment, they're going to find that those are loosened a lot because of this problem that otherwise the market will dry up. Uh, Are you you concerned about the growing clout of sovereign wealth funds and the kind of positions they're taking in institutions like uh, Citigroup and so forth? Well, as uh, I mean, I've been predicting that for for many years. I mean, my my book on future for investors, I talk how that's going to be huge coming up, and it's going to come not only from the sovereign wealth funds, but also from private investors abroad. I mean, we're just beginning to see that, and they become important by putting some stakes here. And I think we in the U.S. have to get 
used to that and, and as a way to support our markets. And if we try to sh- push those funds away, we, we're going to suffer quite dramatically um, as a result. So I, I think it's a part of a broader process that, that would have continued even without the subprime crisis that uh, we found ourselves in. So I guess I'm a little bit more negative on sovereign wealth funds in a sense, particularly some of the political issues are a little bit thorny. And although they don't have control rights at the moment, my expectation is that the next tranche they will get them and that this is part of a a process where they will contain a, a lot of control rights. And the worrying thing is that these entities, particularly in China, and but also in a number of other countries, are not independent, they're government controlled, and there are security issues there. So, you know, if there was extreme events that, you know, the obvious one is some problem in Taiwan, they could use this kind of power in a way that would not be good for us. Now, of course, they already have a lot of power because they own so many treasuries, but but this is additional ones, which I think is of some concern. But I think we're going to have to get used to that. I mean, we're going to have to get used to a greater and greater proportion of the multinational corporations are going to be owned by investors abroad, either the governments or the private investors. Um, and uh, uh, I, I just don't see any way to, to, uh, to avoid that trend. And we, we have to think about how we, you know, how, how we can handle it. But I think uh, we, have, we have to learn to, to live with that. But you don't think if we put our savings rate up into a positive range, Jeremy, that we could actually maybe prevent this trend and it actually start as, owning uh, our own assets? Owning again. our own assets. Um, I guess uh, <laughs> I try to deal with things the way they are. <laughs> We're not there yet. Well, maybe with property prices falling and the stock market falling, people realize they need to save for their own age. They may have to start saving again. Mm -hmm. Given everything you've been saying, what's the best strategy for investors? Well, you know, my belief is that, um, um, in fact, and and, and several others, that I think stocks are, quote, attractive, not mammothly attractive on their own, but attractive. But relative to bonds, I do think they're extraordinarily uh, attractive, you know, something used to be called the Fed model, which compared earnings yield on stocks with interest rates on bonds. It was an article I think in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week that said that it's at an extreme stocks versus bonds in terms of looking at the relatives. So, you know, when you think about between those two financial classes, stocks and bonds, I mean, certainly the safe bonds, right, and triple A's and governments, um, you know, down to three point six, three seven for ten years. I saw the TIPS bonds, the inflation-protected bonds, selling today at 1.4% for 10 years. I mean, that's, I think, broke through the previous low or extremely near it. Uh, their 10, you know, we've, we've had the those. The real yield. The real yield. Real 1.4% real. And, um, you know, I mean, historical on stocks is between 6 and 7. And even if you think it's 5 or 6 or even if you think it's 4 or 5, you're way above what bonds are going to be. And by margins that I think, you know, would would even satisfy those more risk averse investors. So you know, my, my that's my feeling in terms of looking at those. I still I don't find real estate assets particularly um, attractive. Although REITs rallied today with lowering of interest rates. Actually, REITs and financials the only thing we're up by the time we came down here this morning is looking for a little bit of uh, relief. But I think that there's a lot. I agree with Franklin. There's a lot there yet to work out on on uh, on the downside in the real estate area. So I guess I would be 
take a somewhat different position than Jeremy, which is given that I'm more pessimistic in terms of the recession, I think stocks are probably not as good as as Jeremy does. And also, um, going back to the Japanese experience again, JGB 10 years were at about 1.4%, so, which is about where the real is. But, and so I think... And those bonds, are nominal bonds. Right, so uh, I would not be surprised if uh, bond yields went lower than they are now. They particularly are, in the middle and of and the, the curve. JGBs actually went down to almost a half a percent back in uh, 03. Right. <laughs> I mean, I when when we saw the 10-year US Treasury down to 3.1, which was in June of 03, I said we'll never see it that low again and well, I'm probably I'm, next week. Oh, well, well, I hope not. That would be another bad fall in the stock market. I I think we're still going to avoid that 310 10-year uh, treasury. But you know, it was a couple I have a bet with Frank Diebold about whether we're going to be closer on the 10-year in the U.S. to 6% or 2%. And we made this about... what time? March 24th. We made this about five years ago, and I'd kind of written it off. And then about uh, a few weeks ago, he wrote me, he said, my goodness, the 10 years are at 3.99. And when I came down there at about 3.51 or something at the moment. So it may be be quicker (laughs) than you predict. Well, I, I always say when when things are bad in the headlines, doing nothing is often the best thing, uh, because often if you act when when everyone when everything when the news is extreme, either bullish or bearish, uh, you do the wrong thing. Um, it's also my feeling that um, that for long term investors, you would be rewarded if you have some cash uh, to to put it in into the market today. Maybe not by next week or next month. Um, and even if we do have a recession, as Franklin suggests, those are temporary. And um, um, that uh, if you if you ride those out, you are rewarded. So currently, the Nikkei is at uh, trading around twelve and a half thousand. It peaked at forty thousand. <laughs> that was seventeen, eighteen years ago. So usually you are rewarded, but in these kinds of difficult events with property prices falling. Again, I agree with Jim, we're not nearly as extreme as Japan, but I think it may take a while before we get back up if we do indeed have a recession and prices go down significantly. I guess my view is... I agree with Jeremy, it's not a good idea to do things in a, in a panic, but there's a lot of risk in the next few months because we don't know what's happening. And government securities look a good deal to me. Thank you very much for joining us today. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upen.edu.